0: Our summer series has been Christ Encounters, and uh, first of all, I'm thankful to Pastor Chris for allowing me um, to kind of deviate from the, the order a little bit. We are going to look at a Christ Encounter this morning, but I'm kind of skipping ahead into another category as we talk about someone who was broken, and... Um, Will be in Luke chapter 6 this morning. If you want to turn there, the scripture will also appear on the screen. And I just want to ask you to consider this morning before we jump into God's Word is there a willingness in your heart to ask the Lord to just do one thing in your heart today? To give you one thing from His Word, to teach you one thing. If you would, if you would be willing to just open up your heart to that this morning, uh, we will see what the Lord God will do, because it will certainly not be me. Let's look at the Scripture together, Luke chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Now it happened on another Sabbath also, That he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. But when they were filled with rage, but they were filled with rage, and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Comforter, I ask you this morning that you would invade this place. That you would take your word, which we know is powerful, cut straight to the heart. And you would speak to us through it. That you would do something in this place, in my heart, in our hearts, because of the truth of your word. Lord, we are looking for one thing this morning. And I pray, Lord, as you work and as you move, you will show us what that is. And I ask it in the powerful, everlasting name of Jesus. Amen. So the fourth commandment of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments says, Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Exodus 20. And that was to be a day of rest. In the Jewish calendar, it was the it was the Saturday. It was the seventh day. And the Pharisees were these self-appointed regulators of the Sabbath. They were religious men, and they had been trained in the law. And so they, they come along, and what, and, and what happened was, not only did they know the law, but over time, what, as, they, as they studied, what would happen is they would read the Ten Commandments, they would read the law, and they would make notes, and they would make commentary on that. Um, they, it, there it's, there's some 36 maybe or so additional rules about the Sabbath that had come out of this commentary. And so what happened was over time, their commentary on the law came to have as much authority as the law itself. And that's part of the reason that when Jesus came along, he clashed with the Pharisees all the time, right? He said, he said, he is the, he is the answer to the law. He is the word of God. And, and, and there was this constant conflict. And, and um, so Jesus' message was, look, we can't keep the law. And that's the real meaning when we fall short of the glory of God. When we fall short, we cannot keep the law. And so when he would teach or when he would do miracles many times on the Sabbath day, he did so knowing that he was confronting the Pharisees and their religiosity so that they might come to follow him. They did not respect Jesus. To, him, to them, he was a street preacher. He was a wild card. Uh, he was a lawbreaker, a Sabbath breaker, and they did not want to hear from him. And Jesus had to remind them, if you go back in Luke to, in, in, to chapter 6 to verse 5, that the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He created the Sabbath. It is His, and He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so from this text in Luke 6, I want to encourage us in one thing this morning, kind of the big idea of the message. When you talk to students a lot, you have a big idea, right? So you're hoping that they at least walk away with the main thing. And so the big idea here is that we need to avoid missing a move of God. Because a move of God is about to happen in that synagogue. God is about to to move. He's about to do something that they haven't seen before. He's about to say things that they haven't heard before. And when God comes along and he's about to do something, watch out. Because it is going to be unbelievable. So you've got to be ready. And when Jesus is in the house, when he is present with us, look out. He's going to do something you haven't, that you haven't seen done before. He's going to say something you've never heard before. Right? When he's here, when he's living in a real way in our hearts and in our church body, look out because something amazing is coming. And so there is about to be a move of God in this synagogue. But we need to watch out because it's possible to miss a move of God. It's possible to be a bystander when God is moving. If we aren't careful, we can miss him because of self-righteousness. If we're not careful, we can miss him because of the crowd. We can miss him because he's about to do a new thing. And, oh, we don't like new things around here sometimes. We like the old things. And so we can miss out. So come with me today and let's look at these three things. Let's look at missing a move of God because of self-righteousness. I want to go back to verse 6, and read again the first couple verses. It happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered, so the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. Notice we see this term synagogue, this place, synagogue. What is a synagogue? Where did the name synagogue come from? So the, the Babylonians captured Jerusalem somewhere around 512 AD, I think, right? And, and the people were scattered. The, the temple was burned. Or, um, and, and the Jewish people were everywhere. And, and the places they scattered, they wanted to meet with God. And so they built these houses or these meeting places called synagogues. And they were places of teaching. And the leaders of these synagogues were the Pharisees. And the Pharisees came along during what's called the intertestamental period. From the close of Malachi to the beginning of the New Testament, there were 400 years. That's the intertestamental period. And, And that's where they came along when God revealed himself again in the New Testament, they show up. And they started out with good intentions. They, they wanted to teach people God's way, but they ended up adding their own thoughts and ideas to God's. And the good things that sometimes can happen become bad things when man begins to dominate the situation with his own flesh. And that's what's happened with these guys. And I just want to stop here and tell you something. Okay, let me tell you this. God's word stands alone. It is truth. It is 100% pure truth. It is inspired. It is without error. It does not need my opinion. It does not need my commentary. Okay, I need to read it. I need to study it. I need to understand it. I need to meditate on it. I need to soak it up. But it stands alone as truth. And with the Pharisees, what happened was it evolved to where they were teaching their interpretation of the scripture. And so when Jesus came along and he exposed this hypocrisy of the Pharisees, they had this huge problem with Jesus. They did not like that. Because you see, Jesus goes past the outside and he looks straight into their hearts. And this morning, he wants to look straight into my heart and your heart. Look what he said in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also appear righteous to others. But within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And I know you're telling me, hey, I've never committed adultery. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, I say that whoever looks at a woman and lusts after her has already committed adultery in his heart. Well, I've never murdered anybody. Also, Jesus If you have hatred in your heart, you have committed murder. So let me ask you a question. As Jesus peers into our hearts this morning, as he looks into your heart, what does he see? What are your dead bones? Well, Pastor Scott, I'm struggling with unbelief this morning. Welcome to the church. We all do that a bit. Maybe it's good works. A lot of people in our will in our world are relying on themselves, their self righteousness, your own behavior to get to heaven. Let me let me tell you what that's like. Okay, that would be like um, Cormie and Brad Farha, and I I'll put Allie Allie in with us Allie. Smith. We we all get in a car, and we drive to the Grand Canyon. Now, first of all, that would be the road trip to be all road trips, okay? I guarantee you, 10 minutes in, I'm punching Brad in the face, but whatever, okay? The poor man is a Yankees fan, and we're just not having it, but we get in the car, and we drive out there, and we get to the Grand Canyon. We're looking at the Grand Canyon, and it's just amazing, and we say to each other, hey, let's jump over it, Okay, Cormy says, that's a good idea. All right? Thanks, Cormy. Okay? So, ladies first. We let Allie go first. Allie's an athlete. All right? She steps back. She takes off running. She jumps as far as she can. And, man, she goes like eight feet. You remember the old Roadrunner cartoon? Right? And Brad says, well, I can do better than that. And he gets a little bit further back and he takes off running, okay? And somehow, I don't know how, he goes nine feet, okay? Probably because I helped push him along. All right? Nine feet. There he is. I go next, Mr. Athlete, okay? I go like, hundred yards back. And I take off running. And by the time I get to the end, I'm so tired from running a hundred yards. I go like four feet. Boom. And then along comes Cormie. Right? No no stronger man of the faith I know personally. Cormie is amazing. And Cormie takes off running. And he jumps as far as he can. And he goes 12 feet. He's better than Brad. He's better than me. He's better than Alex. He did amazing. But what happened? It's what happens when we are self-righteous and we think that we can achieve on our own and we compare ourselves to one another and we think that we're going to make it when we know God's word says we all fall short of the glory of God. I cannot live up to that standard without Christ in my heart. I cannot make it. Our righteousness, God's word says, is like filthy rags. So what about you, Christian? What are the dead bones that are keeping you from being alive in Jesus and keeping Him from being real in your life? Hypocrisy? Some sort of secret sin that nobody else knows about? Your attitude? Your apathy? Your anger? Bitterness? Unforgiveness? Deceit? Somebody said that unforgiveness was like taking poison, hoping it would kill the person you're mad at. Which is ridiculous, right? And yet we fester in that for so long. Maybe it's your religiosity. Religious people watched Jesus to see if he would make a mistake. And today, religious people watch other Christians to see if they will make a mistake. And let me tell you that We will miss a move of God if we don't deal with what's inside of our hearts. It will. But God wants to do a new thing. He's about to do a new thing. And we want to avoid missing a new thing, not only because of our self righteousness, but also because of the influence of the crowd. Look again at verse 8. But he knew their thought, and he said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. See, Jesus knew their thoughts. And he asked the man with the shriveled hand to come and stand In front of everyone. So can you see the synagogue is full? We know these synagogues got full. And we know when Jesus was there, they really got full. You remember another account in the Gospels where it was so packed that, that guys had to go up on the roof and tear open a hole in the roof and lower a man down to be healed because of what was going on at the synagogue. So can you imagine you're in the crowd and you have the withered hand and Jesus calls you to stand out in front of everyone. And people are watching, and they know that, that when someone sick is around, Jesus heals them. And Jesus knows this, but he isn't going to let the crowd keep him from doing the will of God, despite what's in the heart of the Pharisees. And those packed in there didn't matter to him. He was going to do a new thing, and he was going to heal him. And I, want to t- I just want to tell you this. If you walk with Jesus, you do not let the crowd stop you. You do not let the crowd stop you. They're going to talk. They're, your coworkers. they're going to talk. They're going to laugh. People are going to try to make you feel like you're less, even though you know that in Jesus you are more. But you know what? You know you are growing When you care more about doing the will of God than you care about the opinion of the crowd. And maybe today you're thinking, well, it was easy for Jesus. He's God and he's got nothing to be afraid of. But notice the man with the withered hand. He's also ignoring the crowd. He was in the crowd and Jesus brought him up to stand in front of everyone. Stand up here in front of everyone, in the middle of the room. Stand here with your withered hand. Scripture doesn't say that he looked around and said, I can't go up there. No one else is going. No, 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 no. He didn't hesitate. He didn't make excuses. I think maybe he was afraid. But he did not let his fear overcome his obedience and he showed up and let me say this church family do not be afraid to let people see your brokenness especially when God brings that healing and it points people to Jesus because he is a God of grace He is a God of love and compassion. Yes, he is just. Yes, he is righteous. There is no doubt. But when we walk around and we hide our pain, when we fear how our brokenness might look to others and, 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 and what they might think about us, it holds us back. It holds us back. As Christ followers, it holds us back as a body. To be vulnerable and honest and transparent with one another is the only way the body of Christ works, 100%. You see, the man with the withered hand figured out, hey, I've been hanging with the crowd. The crowd hasn't done anything for me. The crowd doesn't have any power. The crowd hasn't helped me. He's probably had this withered hand from birth. We don't know for sure, but more than likely. And, and he's figured out there's nothing for him in the crowd. They didn't have the compassion to help him. Only Jesus did. And notice this too. He wasn't standing alone. When he got up out of the crowd and he came to the middle of the room, right? He's standing with Jesus. And when you step away from the influence of the crowd, when you step out and you say, I am going to be right and do right no matter what, You're never standing alone, ever. We have access to incredible power. Scripture calls it resurrection power. The same power that can bring Jesus to life, that can raise the dead, is the power of God that we can access through our walk with him. So don't let the influence of the crowd keep you from missing a move of God. But I've got to ask you before we move on to our final point. What's withered on you today, Christian? What's withered on you? This man's hand was withered. His fault was apparent to everybody. Everyone in the crowd, everyone in the synagogue, everyone in his community knew what his defect was. What's withered on you? Is it your joy? Is your joy gone? Has your peace been withered? Is your hope withered? Is your perspective of God withered? Whatever it is, Jesus is inviting us this morning to come and stand with him. And yes, people will see. People will know. But he's saying, come and stand right here. And then lastly, we want to avoid missing a move of God because of the old things. Because of the old things. Look at verse 10. When he looked around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole. As the other. So God is doing a new thing. And no one had ever seen a preacher like Jesus come along, right? We know that there were these Pharisees, these self righteous men, and and they had followed these rabbis. And in those days, when you followed a rabbi, it was like you were in that rabbi's camp. Right? And if they believed a little bit differently than this one, and you did that. And no one had seen somebody like Jesus come along, a, a, a preacher like him that spoke with the authority he did. And also no one had seen the works and the miracles that he had done. And so God's doing a new thing. And that and when God wants to do a new thing, folks, we got to be flexible. Okay? We have to be ready to step out of. I know you hate this, our comfort zone. Oh, Pastor Scott, why'd you have to say that? I like my life the way it is. Our comfort can cause us to miss a move of God. It can. We can get in that place where we just want to be in that place. And, and, God, and God puts hundreds of opportunities in front of us waiting for us to say yes, waiting for us to jump in and be a part of what he wants to do in this place and in this community and on this earth, how he wants to spread his kingdom. And, and, and we get in that comfort zone and we miss it. We want to stay in the old things. We want to be comfortable. Here's the problem with refusing to see the new thing. That God is doing. It leaves the most vulnerable among us at risk. It leaves the most vulnerable among us at risk. If Leon Brush and Donita Brush don't say yes to God for a new thing. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of men and ladies. Trapped in addiction that don't get the word of God. And the help they need in that ministry it's a new thing well I want to stay in my old thing it's big I don't want to try it it's too much for me it leaves the vulnerable among us at risk it leaves the hopeless in hopelessness it divides the body of Christ it causes churches to die we've never done it that way before that's a new thing yeah It'll be okay. God can do it. I'm not doing it. You're not doing it. God's doing it. It's his work. And ultimately, it sentences people to hell. Because we don't carry out the gospel mission the way God designed us to carry out the gospel mission. We're in our comfort zone. So we keep our mouth shut and we enter into that. Cruise control mode. You know what? I have a love-hate relationship with my cruise control on my car. Okay? Uh, I'm glad I have it. Cruise control is nice, right? You're on the interstate. You take your foot off the pedal. And it's designed to just cruise along. Here's the problem. And a lot of you probably have a similar type of vehicle. My car is designed, when it's in cruise control, when it comes up on another vehicle, it slowly slows down to the pace of the vehicle in front of it. So when I'm on the interstate and I'm trying to get somewhere and I'm driving the speed limit because, you know, I'm only going to drive the speed limit. Uh, and, And I've got my cruise control on and and someone comes around me maybe and gets back in my lane. okay. I start to slow down and I don't notice it. And five, 10, 15 minutes later, I look down. And they're going 55, and I'm going 55 because my car is keeping me at 55, and the speed limit is 75, 80, whatever it is. I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm in Europe when I'm driving. I'm not sure. But um, I, I hate that about my cruise control, and I'm like, that, that's, not, that's not what I want. But I'm just cruising along at whatever the speed is of the car in front of me. And I'm in that kind of comfortable place. God wants us to come out of that. He does not want us to miss a move of God. We have to trust that when God moves, we are going to see the best possible outcome and you want to know seriously one of my greatest fears in life i'm, I'm not really afraid of a lot of things okay i don't, in fact i i don't believe in phobias if you're afraid of heights i don't believe you're afraid of heights i think you're afraid of falling and you might die but i don't think you're afraid of heights i don't believe in being afraid of spiders they're small we're big step on it all of those things okay but i have a fear that i might miss a move of god in my life Because I settle in and get comfortable. You remember what Jesus told his disciples when he called them? The foxes have holes to sleep in. And the birds have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He promised those guys nothing when he called them. Except abundant life in him. He didn't say anything about comfort. Now on the back end, when I'm spending eternity with Jesus, I think that's going to be pretty great. The birds have nests and the foxes have holes. The Son of Man has nothing for you in the way of comfort. And that's the kind of life and mindset that Jesus calls us to. The kind of life that steps out of our comfort zone. It's what brings People out of their seat willing to go into a classroom and teach. Whether it's a little kid or an adult. I'm willing to step out of that comfort zone. It's what sends us to our friends with a boldness to say. Man, I I love you and I don't want you to spend eternity in hell. And Jesus has made a difference in my life. Jesus has saved me from eternal damnation. And I don't know how you will do that. I don't know what your approach will be. I don't know what doors God will open, but it sends us to our friends with the gospel. It brings you on this platform to use gifts you have to lead in worship and to share with the body of Christ. Or to stand at the door and greet people. Or or to come early every Sunday and make sure that we have coffee and snacks. On and on and on it goes. There's just so many different things things. It's what allows you to stand up before others and to testify about God's grace in your life. It's what brings you to take care of vulnerable children. And I would stop here to say, this is sometimes hard for me. Many of you know our story, Sandy and I. We were empty nesters. And I began studying for a small group study that we might do here. And the Lord began to open the door of my heart towards foster care. And here we are some 10 years later with two little kids. And don't think the rest of you empty nesters, I don't look around and see what you're doing. You get up and go where you want to go. You do what you want to do. You don't have to be back in your house at 730. That part I kind of like now. Because, you know, sometimes it's difficult. I'll be honest with you. We don't fit with anybody. People our age don't have kids. People with kids don't want to hang out with people our age. I mean, that's, that's where we are. But you know what? That's okay. I am definitely out of my comfort zone. Coming out of our comfort zone allows us to give generously to kingdom causes. It opens our homes to missionaries. It invites people sitting around this building to our houses to love on them and care for them. The list just keeps going. So don't let the old things... Keep you from doing the new thing that God wants to do. God always wants to do a new thing. And we've got to be flexible. You remember remember what scripture said? We don't put new wine in old wineskins, right? Because they're old and they're firm and they're crusty and they're not going to move. And we have to have that kind of flexibility. Don't let the old things keep you from doing a new thing that God may want to do. Well, look what happened in verse 11 as we wrap it up. They were filled with rage, these Pharisees, and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. When God's going to do a new thing, it's not always going to be the way we want it, and it's certainly not always going to be easy. I think about all those things around here that I mentioned people could jump into, and I think about how problematic that could be in your life as well, right? You know, you agree to teach a class, but now you can't, you know, you, you got to be gone and now you need a sub or you got to spend that time studying or you got to make this commitment or that commitment. I, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. And at the end of this account, the Pharisees are still the Pharisees. Their indignation towards Jesus is greater than ever. I would have loved to have seen this story in my flesh. I would have loved to have seen this finished differently. And the Pharisees had their eyes opened. And they saw what an incredible Savior Jesus was, and they put their trust in him. I I wish they would have done that and been changed, but instead they're outraged. They're plotting. And that's the reaction many are going to have to a new thing. When you jump into a new thing, the world around us will not always like the new thing that God is doing. And that certainly includes unbelievers, but sometimes it includes Christians. I don't like that new thing. I don't want that new thing. can't believe we're doing that. And we absolutely don't want to miss a move of God just because other people don't like it. So I want to encourage us this morning to keep our eyes open for the new thing. And then have the courage to jump in. Lean in to what God wants to do. Find your place in that thing. And say, God, I will do it. I am not going to let my self-righteousness. I am not going to let this crowd around me. And I am not going to let those old things keep me from doing what you want me to do. And being a part of a move of God. Do not miss a move of God. Don't do it. Lord, thank you for our time around your word this morning. Thank you for this story in Scripture. I can't imagine that this man with the withered hand would ever think that he would be in Scripture. And that you would be using him to change the world. God, my heart and my prayer is that we will not be a people that rest in our comfort zone. That we would not be a people that see ourselves as better than others in our own righteousness. We would not be afraid of the crowd. But we would be open. We would be honest. We would be real. And most of all, Lord, we would have hearts willing to do a new thing. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.